wow. It's so good to be with you guys again. And um, this is, uh, man, I, I love Living Hope, and I, I love what God has done through Pastor, Pastor Sonny and Benjamin, Sunjamin. And, uh, yeah, and you know what? This, this retreat, Lineage Retreat, I, I love the name that, that it's called Lineage Retreat. And, and I think about this. Benjamin and I share a little bit of common lineage. He shared a little bit about it just now, that we both went to Fuller Seminary together. And if some of you have met a, a, a friend of both of ours, his name is Ben Sigmund. You might have heard this guy talk about him from time to time. But both of us in our story, we share that we have a lineage with this one mentor that we share in common. And all of us who are in this room, all of us are part of this lineage of something God began that at one time was just an idea. It was just an idea of a couple who were burying their faces in the carpet and saying, God, would you use us and would you release through us a stream of your fire and of your blessing into this world? God, would you use us to see many people raised up and equipped? It was an idea. It was a dream. And here you are. And there is a lineage that now you inherit and that you, you have a, an inheritance among the saints in living hope. And this lineage is marked by the character and the faithfulness and the pursuit of God that resides in these two. And, and I, man, the reason why we would be glad to and honored to, to, to leave for a whole weekend to be here is because of the quality, the godliness, the power, the anointing, the kingdom greatness of your leaders. Benjamin and Sonny Robinson, and I hope you always thank God for the powerful lineage that is yours in the kingdom of God because of what they've done, and, and, and you're part of it. All right, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to share about this, uh, this, this message. I've been thinking about it all night, and then uh, Pastor Benjamin got up just now and, and, and from memory preached the whole sermon that I was about to share with you. Of course, God would arrange it that way. It just tells me God really wanted this, uh, this message tonight. You know, so my wife and I, we, we have three kids. Our oldest just turned 16, and our, our middle is 13, and our youngest is 10. And for us, it's, it's a distinct thing. It's like, wow, our youngest is starting her last year of elementary school. So I'm officially not the young guy anymore, I think is that what that means. Anyway, this, um, this past year, or, uh, during Christmas, so we have, you know, a, a lot of people that we're reaching at our church, and what that means is that times like Christmas, we do a lot extra. So every weekend, we usually have four uh, services, Saturday night and then Sunday morning. And, but for Christmas, we had to uh, have more because we had a lot of people we needed to reach. So we had nine Christmas services, nine. <laughs> That's a lot, man. That's a lot of work. And so the end of it all, I mean, I feel like I got hit by a glorious truck. I mean, a truck, but a glorious one. But I'm like, so toast at the end of that, nine services, and, and then trying to do Christmas with the family. Anyway, so that all, we get home finally by like 11 o'clock Christmas Eve after all of this, you know, three days of nine services, and then uh, Christmas morning we wake up and, and we decide to go to my mom's house to celebrate Christmas Day, and we were there for probably four hours or so. I had a good breakfast, and I'm still like just waking up, you know, and massively tired, but we come back to the house, and my 16-year-old, Toby, he, he, uh, he 15 at the time, but he ran into the house first, and then he ran back out to the car. And he said, Dad, there's water everywhere. And I'm still, like, tired and groggy. I'm like, yeah, well, just, I don't know, clean it up, you know? He's like, no, Dad, there's water everywhere. I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, there's water everywhere. 
And he brought, he, and I, so I followed him inside of the house. I'm like, what is going on over here? And I'll, I'll tell you what we found. I have some pictures of this. Inside of my house, the entire downstairs of my house had two inches of water. The entire downstairs. When he said water was everywhere, <laughs> I mean, every, this is after we moved all the furniture. I mean, we spent the whole entire Christmas day cleaning up, like moving all of the furniture we own out into the front yard, sopping up all of the water and trying to clean up. The neighbors came over on Christmas Day. Here's the neighbors. They're like helping us out. And or that's not the neighbors. It's kind of the next one. They're, they're, but what ends up happening is the whole house had to get deconstructed because there was this massive flood and there, there was nothing that could be done. I mean, we thought we had sopped it all up, but it had seeped into the wood and into the drywall. And so the construction company came and just tore everything out, all gone. And, and I wanted to just share with you, like the, the thing that I needed on Christmas Day was not that. <laughs> After nine services, I needed to just find a couch and collapse on it, you know, or something. I needed some rest. And instead, what I got was this massive three-month-long, no, you're going to live in complete dishevelment, and everything's going to be upside down, and you're not even going to have a couch for three months, let alone find one to lie down on. And, and so when I felt like I needed rest the most, instead what I got was like this completely exhausting experience where our house is all turned inside out. And, and what had ended up happening, we didn't find this out until after the fact, it is there was this one little thing underneath the kitchen sink, and uh, it was this little plastic water filter. It's nothing mechanical, no big deal, but uh, that thing had burst. And, and so the water, for the four hours that we were at my mom's house, just full force gushing out. So that's what I thought was the problem. But then when the plumber came to the house to deal with it, he said, well, let me just check something first before I fix that. And he put a water pressure gauge on the, pre the water system of the house. And he j like jumped back from the, the gauge. He was like, in 25 years of being a plumber, I have never seen water pressure on a house that great. And it was 140 PSI. He said, you could run a nail gun on 140 PSI. The normal house is at 40 PSI. And so, I mean, I don't know if any of you know much about mechanics and whatnot, but it was ridiculous. And it was kind of funny. Like, Ann and I, we, you know, for the, a few months before that, every day we'd be like, my gosh, our shower is like taking the skin <laughs> off of our back. <laughs> Bonus, I guess. But you know what? They say down in the South, pressure bust a pipe. And it does. And we lived firsthand pressure busting the pipe. And it led to destruction. It led to devastation. It led to a, a, a season that was so difficult. And, and I wanted to bring a message throughout this whole weekend, starting tonight, to call all of us back to a place where we recognize that the gauges matter and the reading on the gauge matters. And that there's a responsibility that each one of us has to begin to discover whether we are operating within the kind of pressure that we've been designed to handle or not. And if not, then we got to figure out what to do about it and make some adjustments. You know what we ended up having to do? We had to pay the plumber like 700 bucks and he changed out the master valve regulator. I never even knew there was such a thing in a house, but there is. I now know all about it. I know all about it. Anyway, it had to be done. And, and now we can, we can live in peace knowing we don't have any pressure problems in our water system. So I want you to be able to live that way in your life. 
you know, to know, like, hey, we, we changed out the, the master regulator. And because of that, uh, we've, we've got the right kind of flow in our, in our life and in our home and in our family and in our household and in our pursuits and in our work and in every aspect of our lives. And so I want you to take to heart what you hear throughout this whole weekend in the, in the messages that, that Ann and I are going to be sharing and in the spirit. Because I really do believe, we've been praying about this. Pastor Benjamin and Sonny have been praying about this. Ann and I have been praying about this, that God would speak to each one of us and allow us to do some recalibration of the spirit, of the soul, of the mind, of the body, so that we would be able to enter into his rest. And so uh, I, wanted to, uh, I wanted to ask you to just use your imagination for a second. And in contrast to what I just shared, imagine... Imagine this for a minute. Imagine you wake up in the morning and you, you get up and you get a nice cup of green tea or strong coffee, whatever your uh, choice is, and, and you sit down with that coffee and you enjoy that, that beverage and you open up the Bible and you're reading the Bible and it's like the good stuff. You're not over in Leviticus somewhere. No, 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 no. You're in like Psalm 139, something like that, right? And you're just like, yes, Lord, yes. And you're reading the scriptures. You're taking it in. You're sipping that coffee and tea. And, and then, you, you know, you have an hour of that. And then you, you go out for a nice run. And you do a, you know, a good, like, two mile, just, just enough to get the blood flowing. Not too much to make you worn out. But you get the blood flowing. You get a good little workout going. You come home and, and you jump in a shower. But you don't have anywhere to rush off to. So you just luxuriate in the water and the pressure is 40 not 140 so it feels nice and you're enjoying that shower you get out you cut up some fresh mango for yourself for breakfast and you have some scrambled eggs and rice and kim and it's like the perfect <laughs> breakfast you, you you got some gochujang going on it's just like the perfect day so far and then you 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 know you spend some time you know just you know doing some home decorating stuff you're like you got this one room you just working on what you're going to do there, and your mind is activated, you're thinking about this creative project of, oh, hang this picture there, and oh, what if we got a plant, and it's like, you feel like you feel so good, and then you have this couple of friends, you meet them for lunch at one of your favorite places, and you're out there, you're enjoying it, you come back in the afternoon, and you just sit down, and you're like, huh, you know, I just start writing some verses, and you write a little poem, or you grab your, like, paints, and you just paint this little thing, or, or you do this one project where you had to build this thing, but, you know, you're, you're exhilarated by it all, and then you get together with the family, beautiful, peaceful family dinner, you don't have teenagers yet, anyway, you have this wonderful, peaceful family dinner, and, and then you kind of chill out on the sofa in the family room, playing a game with each other, and and then, you know, you, you, you go up, and you, you, you take another, another shower, just because you can, you know, and <laughs> And then if you're married, you have a little chill time. No Netflix required. Like, you know what I'm talking about. You, and then you conk out. You had a great day. Can you, I mean, didn't it even just feel good to imagine that? <laughs> but you know what? That's not how all of our days always go, is it? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes our days look a little bit more like this, this video right here. Like, no joke. That happened. Hold on, he's not done yet. <laughs> I saw what you did to my grandfather. <laughs> You're going down. <laughs> There's a people against the ethical treatment of animals. It's not, no, this is unethical treatment of humans right here. All right. Okay, that's enough. I think I'm punishing your eyes right now. That's in the category of things that can't be unseen. But, but sometimes that's what our days feel like, right? 
where instead of that, you know, mythical, legendary, imaginary day, it's more like that, where we feel like we're getting beat up. We feel like the, the pressure we're under is so severe. The weight of what we've been carrying is so hard. And, and it feels like a struggle sometimes to just do the next day because it was like that the day before. And into, into all of that, those kinds of days, uh, I believe it's even more important that we hear what the Word of God says. And in Psalm 62, uh, verse, I'm not going to make you shout it 18 times, but that was awesome. But in Psalm 62, verse 5, it says, Let all that I am wait quietly before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge and rock where no enemy can reach me. He's my rock. I want you to embrace this today, that that God is the one who is the source of our victory. And, And wherever we are, each of us is hoping for some victory from God in some different ways in our life. We need some victory from God in, in, in the area of, of our marriage. We need victory from God in what's happening with this business that we're just trying to get off the ground. We need victory from God in what's happening with the degree we were hoping to complete. I mean, we need victory from God in our ministries that we're carrying out. And, and I want you to know that the victory source is God, your rock. He is the rock, and all of us need to find an experience of God as our rock, because it will lead to our own depth of rest. Because when you have an experience of God as your rock, you become increasingly aware of the strength and majesty, grandeur, greatness, and goodness of God. And you begin to become more aware that your ability to fabricate and make things happen is less consequential than you thought it might, might have needed to have been. Because it's the, the rock, God your rock, who brings the victory. He is your source of victory. He's your source of victory. And, and when I think about God being my rock, I, it's a distinct metaphor. I mean, we've got lots of, of, of names for God, descriptions of God throughout the scripture. But this one is used again and again, God my rock. I want you to just say this, God is my rock, and my rock is my rest. And, and, and picture a rock. I don't know about what comes into your mind when you think of a rock, but when I was uh, 19 years old, I had the opportunity to live for about half a year in Switzerland, and I was living there with a Swiss family, and the, one of the cousins of this family was a young guy, and he was a private pilot, and he said, hey, I'd like to take you up and go flying. His name was Jean-Marc, and I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. And so we, we went up and, and started flying, and we flew towards what looked to me like a postcard. It, it was called the, the Matterhorn. I've got a picture of it. Maybe you've seen uh, this. Yeah, there it was. There it was. It literally looked like a postcard that we were flying into. And that's this iconic mountain that you know, everyone all around the world recognizes this place. And, and some people, you know, hike up to that thing. I got to fly right around the peak of it, like right around that thing, like three circles around. And it was mesmerizing how epically grand it was, you know, and how mighty and majestic and strong. And then down below, there's this, this village. And, and, and I was thinking, and I'd 
thought since that time, like, what if you could camp out right at the top of that thing? If you could camp out right at the top of that thing, whatever is going down in the valley below would have a way different perspective for you. If you could camp out on that top of that rock up there and look down, you would have much better optics on what was really going on down there. And you know what's the truth? You and I have the opportunity to do that anytime we want. To go right up into the rock and to be seated in heavenly places with God our rock and to see what's going on in the valley of our lives from a much different perspective. And it loses its power. It loses its force against you because you know that the force that is holding you is so much greater than the force that seems to be coming against you. You need to know God as your rock so that you can enter into his rest. I hope that you would do this. I hope that you would embrace God as your rock so that you can enter into his rest. When you are on that rock, when you're in an experience of God as your rock, you get to become more aware of his greatness. And I think we need that. I think when you and I are finding ourselves feeling overwhelmed and feeling worn out and exhausted, there are some aspects of that that have to do with natural rhythms. And tomorrow morning, that's what I want to address in detail. But I think if I step it back a little bit, what I recognize is that I have made something greater than God my rock. And I need to come back to a place where I've got my eyes on the greatness of my God. This is what Psalm 140, uh, 145 says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Like His greatness is so vast you can't even quite even capture it with your mind. That's what the scripture says. Psalm 150 verse 2 says, praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Shout right now, my God is great. My God is great. Ephesians 1.19, the spirit of God inspires Paul to write these words. I pray that you would understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. And, and so the spirit of God is breathing this desire I want you to understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. And so my message tonight, because I want for us all to be able to truly enter into God's rest, is to get our eyes on the greatness of God. I want you to just tell somebody sitting next to you right now, get your eyes on the greatness of God. Tell them like you mean it. Get your eyes on the greatness of God. Get your eyes on the greatness of God. So I, I was... Not joking before when I said, yeah, Pastor Benjamin pretty much just preached the whole sermon right there. But, but you know, in Exodus chapter 3, <laughs> it's in my notes. You can ask the projection. <laughs> Exodus chapter 3, you, you've got, you know, you've got the, the story unfolding. And you've already had uh, I, Abraham. You've already had Isaac. You've already had Jacob. You've already had the story of Joseph. And, and you've had the, the journey of the people of God down into, into Egypt. And they are enslaved. They, they are baking bricks for Pharaoh and tiring themselves out. If there was ever a group of people who needed some rest, they were the ones. And what we find is that God sees what's going on and has a, has a perspective about it. In Exodus chapter 3, or sorry, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, Years passed. King of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. And they cried out to God for help. And their cry rose up to God. And God heard their groaning. And re he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob 
And he looked down on the people of Israel, and he knew it was time to act. Come on, say, he knew it was time to act. I said, say, he knew it was time to act. I'm grateful that I serve a God who, who says sometimes, I know it's time to act now. That, that he's aware of the stuff that his people go through, the pain that we are trudging along with, the exhaustion that we feel, the burden of it all, the overwhelm that seems to be crushing down on us. He sees it, and he reaches his point where he believes it is time to act. I'm grateful that at any moment I can anticipate that this is my God. This is a demonstration of his character that he doesn't turn a blind eye. He knows when it's time to act. Do you believe that he's good enough to know when it's time to act in your life? I believe he knows when it's time to act in our lives. And for some of us, that time is right now. You're going to see it happen. You're going to see him move on your behalf. This is what he does for his people. He, he sees that it is time to act. And this is where the story of Moses comes in. And we heard about it already. <laughs> <laughs> Good night. See you in the morning. <laughs> Moses, Moses was, was raised up to his own surprise. But it was because God wanted to demonstrate something to his people. And God has a way of doing that. Raising someone up for you to help you when you are in your time of need. And I think part of what we see in the broad picture of Scripture is just God demonstrating, this is what I do. I raise up deliverers. I raise up rescuers. I raise up the ones that are going to come alongside and enter into the mix with you and drag you from it and pull you into freedom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then others of us, he's tapping us on the shoulder and saying, and I need you to actually be that one for someone else. Yeah, yeah. And so Moses is raised up by God in this moment. And, and I want to just jump ahead into Exodus 3. It says, one day Moses was tending the flock for his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. And Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Don't come any closer. The Lord warned, take off your sandals, for you're standing on holy ground. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And when Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. You know, in this moment when, when, when God speaks to Moses and says who he is, I am the God of your father, Abraham. I'm the God of of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. It wasn't like God is just saying, hey, we know some of the same people. It's, It's more like, do you remember the legends? Do you remember your lineage? Do you, do you remember what you've inherited? Do you remember all of those things you've heard? Do you remember those those stories that were told about deliverance. Do you remember those stories that you've heard? I'm that one. I'm the one. I'm the deliverer. I'm the one who has come to be the same as I always ever was. And so he says, I'm the God of Abraham. Say, he, say he's the God of Abraham. You know who Abraham is? Abraham's a man who was dealing with the problem of stuckness. 
Abraham's the one who's stuck and wondering what the purpose of his life was over there in Ur and feeling like there had to be more, that stirring inside, that I, I think there's more purpose for my life. I think there's a greater destiny for me than being stuck over here in Ur. And, and because Abraham had his eyes on the greatness of God, he was able to go on a journey. He understood that because of God's faithfulness, he would be able to take this journey with an anticipation and a trust that God would bring him through. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God who is greater than your stuckness. He's the God who reigns over the dreams that are latent in your heart, thinking, I, I believe there's more to my life, and I believe there's a greater destiny for me. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God that takes you on the journey. He's the God who takes you to the land that he will show you. And you don't know where it is, but you go anyway because you know him. He's the God of Abraham. He's greater than your stuckness. That's how great he is. He's greater than your homelessness. I mean, Abraham's the guy wandering, didn't have a home, and God was great to him even in the midst of it. He was greater than Abraham's wife's barrenness when they didn't know what they were going to do about the problem of not being able to have any children. And she's old. God was greater still. He's the God of Abraham. Come on, say, he's the God of Abraham. I want you to get your eyes on the greatness of God. When he says, this is who I am, I'm the God of Abraham, it's like you can almost imagine Moses going, remember all those things. That's really who you are. And God says, I'm the God of Isaac. You know, Isaac was a different kind of a person. He already lived in the promised land. He was already there. But that didn't mean that there wasn't a, a need for God to move in his life. Even when you're already in the land of promise, you need God to move on your behalf. And Isaac is this individual who came up against the unique challenge of dwelling in the promise. The unique challenge of facing enemies that say, I don't like the fact that you're in the promise, and I want to shut it down on you. I mean, the, the king of Bimelech sent his men to stop up all of the wells on Isaac. And Isaac could have been starved out through thirst, but God was with him. He had his eyes on the greatness of God, and he knew who his God was, faithful to give him ingenuity and strength to see those wells flowing again. He, he's the God of Isaac. He's the God who enables you, when you do make it to the promise, to keep it, to hold on to it, and to, to dwell in it, and to overcome even in the midst of it. And for some of us, this is right where we are. We need to know he's the God of Isaac still, and he is. Say it. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Isaac. He's greater than the, the lies. He's greater than the threat of being uprooted. He's greater than the plans of enemies to try to uproot and starve out. He's greater. And because of who he is, uh, you can make it. you got to get your eyes on the greatness of God. He's also the God of Jacob. <laughs> Jacob. A lot of us have read the Bible enough to know a bit about Jacob. And right from the beginning, <laughs> he's grabbing the heel, you know. Right from the beginning, he's, he's, he's kind of deceptive. Right from the beginning, he's doing some stuff that, what? God, you're willing to have your name associated with that kind of character, you know. God says, yep. Yeah, I'm the God of Jacob. Yep, he was deceptive. Yes, he was. Yep, he, he did a bunch of tricky business on the side. Yep. I'm still, I'm the God of Jacob. God isn't willing to take somebody who, who, who might have a, a, a bit of checkeredness to what's going on in their life and write them off. God is willing to say, I'm still able to work with 
this son of mine. <laughs> he's the God of Jacob. He's the God of Jacob. He, he's, got the, he's got the victory over the famine in the land. He's got a, a victory over his own story of personal deception. And he's ultimately transformed. I mean, he's the one who gets named Israel. <laughs> totally transformed. Because Jacob had his eyes on the greatness of God. God was able to transform him from a selfish and deceptive brother to, to a son who became the father of all the tribes of Israel. He's the God of Jacob. Say it. He's the God of Jacob. When we begin to know God, our rock, as he's really revealed himself, it breathes into us a centeredness on the inside that allows us to take a deep breath and say something like this, I'm going to make it. That allows us to, to take a look at everything going on in our lives and realize maybe I need to turn down the dial on, on these four or five things. And then when we hear that, but what if, if I turn it down? What if it doesn't happen? And what if I can't make enough? And, what if I, and to be able to say, he's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. I can turn it down and I can trust in him. My victory comes from God, my rock. My victory wasn't going to be coming from what I was going to fabricate. My victory was going to come from God, my rock. I can rest in that. And for all of us, we need a revelation of the greatness of God. We need to get our eyes on the greatness of our God so that we can get through what we've got to get through. Like Isaac had to get through the attacks even while he was in the land of promise. We need to get our eyes on the greatness of God so that we can grow into who God wants us to grow into. Like Jacob was able to grow into who God wanted him to grow into. Does any of us here, do we, do we believe God still wants to do some growing in our lives? Get your eyes on his greatness. I really do believe that to whatever degree that we would get our eyes on the greatness of God, to that degree, we would be able to enter into his rest. Because when, when our eyes are on his greatness, we, we realize that the pressure's on him. And he can handle it. No pipes bust. He can handle it. This is what we're made for. I want, I want to keep reading. Verse 7, it says, the Lord, speaking to Moses, said, the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. And I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. And yes, I am aware of their suffering. And so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me. I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you must lead my people out of uh, Egypt. You know what I love about this brief part of the scripture? It's just simply that God says, look, I've seen it. I'm paying attention to what's going on in my people's life. That's the kind of God I am. I'm not unaware. Yes, it has gone on for some period of time, but I've got my eyes on it. And for any of us that feel like, and we're under it right now, the, the, the workload, the pressure, the, this situation that we can't seem to change, our God has his eyes on us. And whatever it is that we're dealing with and going through, he's a compassionate God. He's moved by the plight of his people. He doesn't ignore it. He is compassion. I've seen what's going on. 
couple months ago, all of us were captivated by what was going on in the news, right, where there was this soccer team over in Thailand, these little boys stuck in, a, in an under, you know, we were wondering, how does this even work? How, how, how did they get stuck back there? But the bottom line was they were stuck. And the report was it's gonna take, it could take three or four months to get them out. That was the, the original uh, description of the problem. It's going to take three or four months to get them out. And then we were captivated, weren't we, when we saw that all around the world, people were coming up with ideas of how to get these kids out of there, how to rescue them. I mean, even Elon Musk tried, and he didn't get there on time. But, but what they ended up doing was they said, we're going to do two things. We're going to build the mass, most massive water pumping system in the whole region that had never even been built that big and, and suck all of the water out of there that we can, and we're going to send in our Navy SEALs to dive underneath and teach this group of little kids how to scuba dive in the dark, in the muddy water underneath the cave. And, and even with one of those guys losing his life to see it happen. But why was it so captivating to us? Because all of us could feel for the plight of those kids. I mean, we're thinking it's unimaginable to be that young and just stuck in this terrible position. And, and we... We were moved to see so many people willing to do what they could. But you know what? That pales in comparison to what our God feels. Our God sees the plight of his kids, you and me, and the stuff that we're dealing with, and invites us to get our eyes on his greatness. And in getting our eyes on his greatness, to embrace that he's a compassionate God, that he sees you and me with eyes of love. And he's got a plan of goodness to demonstrate and manifest that love to rescue you and me as we need rescue. When I begin to let this thought fill me up, I can rest a little bit more. And I want for every one of us to be able to breathe in deeply this weekend and trust God to be true to who he's revealed himself to be. One who says, I have heard the cries of my people. And it's not just the ones from 3,000 years ago. Right here, right now. And for some of you, you've been, you've been trying to go to bed and you can't even sleep and you're turning over instead and you're weeping into your pillow and you're filling it with your tears. And you wonder, does he care? And I'm declaring to you, he is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he hears you. He sees it. And he's gathering up his plan to carry out his compassion on your behalf. This is what he does. This is who he is. Get your eyes on his greatness. In verse 11, it, it goes on. It says that but Moses protested to God, you, me? Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I'll be with you. This is the sign. I'm the one who has sent you. When you've brought your people out of Egypt, you'll worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, what's his name? <laughs> what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. <laughs> Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. You know, this name, here in the New Living Translation, they have the audacity to spell it out, Yahweh. But for 
millennia, that wouldn't have even been done even in English, but much more so in Hebrew. I mean, the name that's being used here, for some people, the only appropriate way to even refer to this grammatical construct of, of a moniker is to call it the tetragrammaton, the ineffable name, you know? This name, in, in, in the King James translated Jehovah, and with a, a kind of a modern sensibility of transliteration of language, Yahweh. This name, and it's a powerful name. We, we were right to sing that song before, and, and it, it's always good to recognize the, the power of this name. You know, th- there are lots of names used for God, but this one is the one that's used 6,800 uh, 6, times in the Old Testament. Elohim is used 2,000 times. El is used 200 times. This is God's preferred definition of himself. I remember having a, 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 a teacher in high school who, uh, when, when he taught this section on uh, sociology to us, he, he would go to the blackboard and he was talking about you know, faith and stuff. And he, and he was writing a sentence that had the word God in it. And he wrote G underscore D. And after the class, I remember asking him, you know, did you not know that the middle letter is O? You know? <laughs> and he's like, listen, I, uh, yes, but I'm Jewish. And, and out of deference for my ancestors' faith and my father's faith, we do not speak or write that word because it represents this word. You know, in, in many of our Bibles, it just simply says Lord with all capital letters. And, 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 but it's this name, Yahweh, Jehovah, if you will. The one who was, the one who is, the one who will be. I mean, this is a revelation. More than just a name, it's a revelation of the essence of who our God is. And if we're going to get our eyes on the greatness of God, we need to understand this, that he's the one who was. He, he's the one who was before anything else was. But before there was a singularity that we would then burst forth from as a whole multiverse, he was. Before it all. And he is. He is. He's the one who is. Like at the very essence of every single atom spinning around. That that very spinning and not spinning out of control. How in the world does that even happen? It is because it is God, the one who is. At the core of even matter itself. Holding it all together. He's the one who will be. When, When we're all have breathed our last. He will be continuing to exert his dynamic creativity to sustain this universe. It's who he is. when, When I think about the greatness of God and I let it begin to penetrate my soul and I recognize at the same time, he's not just the rock in the sense of an inert, non communicative, inanimate object. He's my father. And as much as he is the one who was and he is and will be, he's dead. When I get my eyes on the greatness of God and enter into that revelation, I can breathe. And in that breathing, I'm resting because I'm releasing things that weren't really mine to be carrying around anyway. And some of us, that's why we're on this mountain tonight. Because you need to do some releasing There's so much heaviness on you that wasn't put on you by your heavenly father. And and I'm inviting you to come into a place of releasing, 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 releasing. 
so that you would be free, so that you can breathe in his rest and experience the rejuvenation that I believe that, that he has for you. Jesus, in John 8, uh, 57, starts talking about God a little bit. And, and the, the people said, you aren't, even 57, you, are, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. <laughs> and he just put it out there, and everyone was like, you didn't just say that, because they all knew, you know? exactly what he was saying between the lines. But, but Jesus, I, I really believe Jesus wants us to enter into an awareness of his greatness because it gives us an ability to rest. So if he is that great, I'm going to be all right. So get your eyes on the greatness of your God. He is the one who was, the one who is, and the one who will be. But so are you. You are the one who was. You are the one who was alone. You're the one who was lost. You were the one who was trapped in guilt and shame. You were the one who was entering into an eternal damnation apart from the grace of God. You were the one who was stuck with nothing but your own guilt and shame and nothing to do about it. But you are the one who was loved by God from before the foundation of this world. You are the one who was thought of by God as a cherished, treasured son or daughter. You're the one who was. And you're the one who is. You're the one who is every day being given new mercy. And some of us needed a lot of it today. You're the one who is being filled with the Holy Spirit as often as you come to that river and drink. You are the one who is being shown great and mighty things that you knew not of. You are the one who is being carried by your heavenly Father when you couldn't carry yourself anymore. You are the one who is, and you are the one who will be loved by God for all eternity. You are the one who will be in the presence of God for all eternity. You are the one who will be living on this earth with kingdom assignments one after another that will satisfy you and bring blessing to this world. You are the one who will be bringing heaven on earth because you know that you've been empowered by God to do it. And I declare prophetically over you, you are the one who will be breathing, breathing in the presence and greatness of God, and you are the one who will be entering into his rest and living from a rested center because you've got your eyes on his greatness. You are the one who will be used mightily of God, and then you are the one who will be granted rest by your God at every turn. You are the one who will be brought into an awareness of his greatness that will eclipse everything that was coming against the knowledge of God in your life. You're the one who was and is and will be too. You know, a little while ago, my, my wife found this, uh, this product. <laughs> it's called, uh, called Smart Ash. And uh, she got it for me. It's this, um, I have a picture of it. It's right there. Yeah, there it is, Smart Ash. Anyway, I don't know if you've seen this stuff. Smart Ash. I don't know, maybe we got it because it just felt like a rebellious <laughs> thing to do to buy a product by that name and talk about it in a sermon on a Friday night. But it's a, it's a charcoal toothpaste. And 
you know, at first, when, when she first told me about it, I'm like, that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to brush my teeth with charcoal. That's foolishness. It's, it's dark, pitch black powder. That doesn't make any sense. It's, teeth are white. Black powder, what? Anyway, uh, this happened uh, shortly thereafter. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Another image in the category of things that can't be unseen. But, yes, that's me. Brushing my teeth with smart ash. And, you know, I, I used this stuff for a couple weeks, and, and, uh, and, and it actually was incredibly good. And what, what, what I found about this particular, you know, tooth brushing powder is that it, it is able to, because it has charcoal, activated charcoal in it, it defeats bad breath, and that's really good. And it re-strengthens the enamel surface on your teeth because it deposits like minerals there that regular toothpaste never could do. And it whitens the teeth. Like, I mean, it's mind-blowing. How could that even work? But it does. And the net effect is that this thing that, that, that seemed like it shouldn't be so effective became the most effective thing possible. It's a little messy, though. But anyway, I, I, wanted, I wanted you to know that there's a way that you can be strengthened in the presence of God. There is an invitation for you to experience the, the, the breath of God lifting you up, bringing you back to a place of, of rest at the core of your being. And I'm praying for you for this weekend for that to happen. And, and I want to take a couple minutes right now and have us just pray together that God would allow us to get our eyes on his greatness. That that would be the, the move of his spirit this weekend. That he would draw us to a place of, of being captivated by his greatness because when we when we get captivated by his greatness other things take their place in the background so god i pray for all of my friends who are here tonight that have come up to this mountain lord that all that needs to happen would that there would be for each one of us uh, an opportunity to get our eyes on your greatness and that god as we as we get a revelation of how great and mighty you are, that we would recognize you as our rock, Lord, that there would be such rest for us in knowing the strength and majesty and grandeur of who you are as the rock. And God, as, as we have come up to this mountain, some of us carrying heavy things, God, I pray that you would allow this to be a, a place where we could do some releasing of those heavy things. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to find in this place an altar uh, where we could lay down whatever we need to lay down. And, Lord, I thank you that you are able to pick us up, breathe your life into us, and take us uh, on the journey that you have marked out for us. Thank you that you're the God of Abraham, that you're able to speak to each one of us about the things that are yet to be in our lives. God, thank you that you're the God of Abraham and, and that you're able to Carry us along the journey where we're not quite sure how it's going to unfold. Thank you, God, that we can trust you in your greatness to be the God of Abraham who would, who, who would take those barren places and show your might even through and over them. You're the God of Abraham. We believe you to be true to your name. God, you're the God of Isaac. And for some of us, you've allowed us to come into the promise. And we've in some senses, been in the land for a while, and, and we've loved it, and yet there's attacks afoot. But you're the God of Isaac. You, you're the one who gives 
a portion of your greatness to your people so that we can withstand the attacks of the enemy and find the, the ways to see the enemy routed and the wells opened up again. So you're the God of Isaac. Would you show some of us how the wells can be opened up again? And you are the God of Jacob. In your greatness, you don't write off a deceptive, selfish, sometimes foolish trickster. You'll even work through one and say, I'll even let my name be associated. Thank you, Lord. You're the God of Jacob.